0: The World, Bowie's third album, was released by Mercury Records in November 1970 in the United States and in April 1971 in the UK. Before getting into the album itself, I want to talk a little bit about the cover art. It features David Bowie reclining decadently on a chaise lounge in the Haddon Hill mansion where the band was residing at the time. And he's wearing what's been described as a quote-unquote man's dress with long blonde locks falling down below his shoulders. It's notable as the first in a series of moves really intended to exploit Bowie's androgynous appearance and really make it an intentional part of his image. The album was originally intended to be called Metropolis, making a kind of play on words on the Fritz Lang movie Metropolis. But the record company changed the name at the last minute, much to Bowie's frustration, Personally, I think Mercury probably made the right decision, but more on that in a minute. Stepping back a little, Bowie had previously achieved some notoriety with the single Space Oddity a few years before in 1969, but that album didn't really take off in the way that Bowie had hoped. So Bowie decided to try another tactic, and that's something that really marks early Bowie, I would say, this kind of relentless trying-on of different faces, trying to find something that fits. So in this case, that different tactic was to form a band with Tony Visconti on bass and Mick Ronson on guitar, and after a couple of membership changes, Woody Woodmansey on drums, forming a band called Hype. In 1970, the band started performing in kind of almost superhero-esque costumes prefiguring the Ziggy Stardust stage show from a few years later in a number of ways. Recording for the album itself began in April 1970 in London. As a bit of context, Bowie had recently gotten married to his first wife, Angela, and he was also going through some managerial problems, something that would happen actually again and again throughout his 1970s career. So this is all just to say he had a lot going on. There are varying accounts of how involved Bowie really was in the recording process for this album, but it seems, though Bowie is officially given credit as the composer for the record, that a lot of the music was probably at least partially arranged by Ronson and Visconti. Visconti has said that the band would often jam and write a lot of the arrangements together, and then Bowie would just kind of come in towards the end of the process and dash off some lyrics. Bowie, of course, has objected to the impression that he was detached from the songwriting process for this album, but that does at least seem to be hitting somewhere near the mark from pretty much everyone else who was in the room at the time. So what are the results like? The previous two albums were primarily folk rock. In contrast, this album is really marked by a much heavier sound, much of it in the realm of hard blues rock and psychedelia. It's by far the heaviest thing that Bowie had done at this point. And I don't think it's a stretch to say that there are some Sabbath and even Led Zeppelin-esque elements in there. The record is also lyrically darker than Space Oddity. Madness and questions of identity and power are major themes on the record. One great example of that is on All the Mad Men, which was possibly inspired by Bowie's half-brother, who at the time was an inmate of Cane Hill uh, Psychiatric Hospital. But the track that I really want to direct your attention to is the title track, The Man Who Sold the World. It's almost buried near the end of the album, but if there's one track from this album that you should listen to, it's this one. If you, like me, were an American teenager in the 1990s, it's very likely that you first encountered this song through uh, the Nirvana cover on MTV Unplugged. That was the case for me but I remember when I then first heard the Bowie original in my early 20s, it was a real revelation. I find that combination of Ronson's circular guitar riff with Bowie's heavily phased vocals and the just kind of generally spooky atmospherics of the song haunting and really riveting. Bowie's narrator sings about encountering a kind of doppelganger of himself on the stairs. The two get to talking before concluding, among other things, We must have died alone a long, long time ago. But it's really the last minute and 15 seconds of the song that are the kicker for me. The sounds of Bowie's odd, almost disembodied backing vocals floating in at you like they're coming from outer space or from beyond the grave or possibly from both. Bowie's next album, Hunky Dory, was released in 1971 by RCA. Cover-wise, this album continues the androgynous look that we saw on The Man Who Sold the World before that. We have a close-up of Bowie, long blonde locks swept down to his shoulders, gazing up past the camera like some kind of silver screen starlet. And indeed, Bowie apparently brought multiple pictures of Marlena Dietrich with him to the photo shoot, so that was definitely in the air. The process used to create the image, um, which was originally shot in monochrome and then recolored adds to the almost intentionally anachronistic golden age Hollywood look of the image. The composition process for this album was a little bit different, particularly compared to the relatively hands-off process approach that Bowie had taken with The Man Who Sold the World. So in this case with Hunky Dory, Bowie composed all the songs for the new record on piano rather than guitar as has previously been done. As I said, there are some accounts of how much the Man Who Sold the World Bowie actually arranged, but when it comes to Hunky Dory, there's really no question, it's Bowie's songwriting on display through and through. That change in the composition process really shows on the album. So instead of the heavy, verging on, almost metal-esque hard rock sound of The Man Who Sold the World, we get largely piano-driven, melodic art pop. Ronson and Woodmansey continue on guitar and drums, respectively, and Trevor Boulder plays bass. Those three would soon, of course, become The Spiders From Mars, but that's a story for the next record. Rick Wakeman also appears on piano on the record. Um, I should note Bowie did ask him to join The Spiders From Mars as well, but Wakeman said no and went on to join the band Yes Instead. From the piano and strings uh, that form the introduction to the opening track changes, we know that we're in a very different sonic universe from the man who sold the world. Instead of the guitar heavy proggy rock of the previous album, we get lush, melodic pop centered around an irresistible piano rift. Appropriately, the song revolves around the theme of artistic reinvention, and it's been compared by by many to a kind of almost blueprint for uh, Bowie's career in the coming years. In the second half of the record, we get, among other things, Bowie paying tribute to some of his influences with a trio of songs, Andy Warhol, Song for Bob Dylan, and Queen Bitch, the last of which was inspired uh, by Bowie's fandom for The Velvet Underground. Queen Bitch is particularly interesting, I think, because it's a kind of almost prefiguration of the glam rock sound that would characterize Bowie's next album, Ziggy Stardust. Not to get too dialectical about it, but I think you can see that sound as in many ways the child of the kind of distorted guitar-driven rock of The Man Who Sold the World and the heavily mannered melodic art pop of Hunky Dory. Regardless of what you think of that theory that I just proposed, uh, Queen Bitch is nonetheless just a great song. It's centered around a great, trashy, almost proto-punk guitar riff from Ronson. And Bowie's vocals come across as somehow both arch and catty and streetwise and full of attitude. Again, a good model for the pose that he'll be taking on the next several albums. At the time, when Hunky Dory was released, it received generally good reviews, but it didn't really make a whole lot of waves. It didn't sell particularly well. And that's probably in part because the record company still kind of viewed Bowie as a sort of one-hit wonder at the time. And it didn't do a whole lot to promote the record. Like The Man Who sold the World, Hunky Dory only really became a commercial success after the breakthrough of Bowie's next album, Ziggy Stardust.